Welcome to I Hadn't Considered That. I'm Vanessa Torrey, and each week I'll be joined by guests whose perspectives and uncommon experiences can help us better understand each other and the world around us. The unique and inspiring stories you'll hear will make you feel connected to parts of people and life that you hadn't yet considered. Until now. Hi, friends, and welcome back to I Hadn't Considered That. This week's episode is super fun for so many different reasons for me, and I hope that it is fun for you as well. First of all, it is my first in-person interview. So usually I do these podcasts recorded over Zoom, but I'm so fortunate that this week's guest, Nikki Marinas, lives in Phoenix near me, not that far at all. So she just hopped over to go ahead and record this from the comfort of my home. So we got to sit down on the couch and have a great conversation and talk about all things funny. I want to let you know a little bit about Nikki. Nikki is a writer, an actress, and a comedian. She has a double major from UC Santa Barbara in theater and philosophy, and she's got professional training in improv. And I'll tell you, she's just fiercely funny. And on top of being fiercely funny, she's just a joy to be around. And she has some unique perspectives that I wanted to bring to you because again, we're all about the perspectives here. And I wanted her to come talk to us about what her experience is like being funny, because I think that there's a lot that people wrap into what they see when they see somebody or meet somebody that's funny. And so getting to pick her brain on that was such a joy. I hope that you are not rusty on your pop culture because Nikki is a 100% pop culture princess. And I went right along that road with her and we had a great time. We talked about all sorts of fun things from who our Batman person is to what our favorite Monty Python sketch is and what we find funny. So we certainly hope that you will connect with us so that we can hear what you find funny. Speaking of that, I just kind of want to let you know that we have a lot of fun things that are going on in social media. So as you may know, I have an author page that is on Facebook that has a lot of great posts about what's coming up and what's going on, some teasers for upcoming podcasts, um, and also just some areas where you might be able to engage with others that are enjoying the content. There's also the Patreon page, and that's where we do some things that are membership-based, whether it's Wine Wednesday coming up, where we can talk to folks. And I am willing to bet that I can coerce Nikki into joining us on Wine Wednesday. So if you're interested in joining that, and we can all have a glass of wine and have a chat and talk a little bit more about what it is to be funny, hop on over to the website. My website is vanessatory.com. And there's all the different links there to the social media, to the Patreon, so that you can join us, have a lot more conversation. I'm dragging Nikki over to the Facebook page so that she can engage with us as well. I hope that you guys have a few laughs. Um, Definitely, there are some parts of this that tug our heartstrings. I love any moment when you can take somebody that is funny, that makes us laugh, and they peel back some layers of the onion a little. And she makes sense of so many different things that apply to humor that it just helped me see it in a different way and in a way that, of course, I hadn't considered. So without any further ado, thank you so much for joining us. 
Cheers. Slancha. Um, we have to disclose that Nikki and I are having ourselves a glass of champagne. It's true. Because this is the first episode that I've ever done um, live in person. Nikki and I are sitting on the oatmeal couch. And if you have heard any of my other podcasts where I've talked about the pink couch that I'm anxiously awaiting, um, we are sitting mm. on the gray boring couch. And this is, it is pretty oatmeal, isn't it? It's Well, oatmeal's not gray. It's oatmeal color. Well, it's just nondescript. That's what I call like oatmeal. True, it's beige. Yeah. So it's just, it's boring. It's an exceptionally boring um, couch. So anyway, um, Nikki is here with me today, and she is here because she is um, one of the funniest people that I know. Oh, shucks. <laughs> it's so true, though. Um, so Nikki and I, just to kind of give you an idea of how Nikki and I met, because that's a funny story in and of itself. Mm-hmm. And then I'm going to let Nikki introduce herself. Um, Nikki and I met writing on Medium, and I guess I wrote something about Tempe or Mexico? Yeah, it, I think it was actually in, in a comment. I think it was a comment on a story that you wrote and you said something about, yeah, go, going to Mexico. And I went, wait a minute. Peacemakers? The connection. Peacemakers? Wait a minute. And then I was talking to Mark Norman, who put the Nikki writes for Medium, you write for Medium, do we know each other, put two and two together, and that's when it all came into fruition of we are going to be real life friends. Oh, my goodness. So, Nikki, I want you to introduce yourself to the listeners um, and folks that may not know you. So what can you tell folks about you? What's your story? I am Nikki Marinas. I am um, a comedian. Um, I think I actually just celebrated my nine year anniversary two days ago of doing stand up comedy. I've been told since I was eight years old that I should be a comedian. Um, I think I'm actually more of a funny comedic actress than I am a stand-up comedian, honestly. So differentiate for those who may not be familiar. Yeah, no, that's that's an interesting uh, differentiation. I, anytime somebody thinks you're funny, they automatically go, oh, comedian. Difference. Gilda Radner, mm-hmm. not a stand-up comic. No. Funny uh, comedic actress. Yes. Margaret Cho, mm-hmm. stand-up comedian. Got it. Not comedic actress. Got it. Not that she hasn't acted. Right. But telling jokes on stage in front of an audience is stand-up comedy. Right. Being funny on stage is acting. When you first had people telling you that you should get into comedy, um, did you have this sort of dance for grandma reaction to your comedy because I got that a lot growing up of the oh this is Vanessa she's really funny Vanessa say something funny oh oh it was always yeah I was always making people laugh always and I was just I was doing characters I was being funny I was doing a you know and it's because I grew up watching Monty Python and Faulty Towers and Benny Hill and MASH and Steve Martin with my dad late at night on PBS that's where I learned. And like my dad would laugh at Monty Python and I would look at the TV and I'd look at my dad and I would look at the TV and I would look at my dad trying to figure out this Monty Python takes, and Monty Python is a TV show, by the way. It's (laughs) not just movies. It's not Life of Bright. It's a TV show and I recommend it, but it's it's a British sense of humor. It's a different sense of humor. So especially as a child, like as an eight-year-old. Grasping, that would be hard. Yeah. Oh, what was, oh, dad laughed at, okay, what was, what's funny about that? And figuring out what that was in Alan Alda. Oh my God, Hawkeye Pierce is the reason I smell everything before I eat it. Like I just, oh my God, oh, and the monkeys. Oh God, okay, the monkeys, Mike Nesmith, 
died recently shattered my world. Mickey Dolans. I got to meet Mickey Dolans and tell him to his face that my sense of humor was his fault. Oh my God. That's fun. Those two are the reason I am the way I am. Steve Martin is the reason I am the way I am. And you know, I never like, I wish I could point to a woman as a child that I was like, ooh, she's the, you know, I mean, Lucille Ball. Yeah, but I never was, you know, I not specifically like, it was just people. I never differentiated chicks and dudes. It was just people yeah. funny. And I was doing funny voices and wanted to, and cartoons. And I wanted to be- I See, I had, that. Gilda was the first- time that I realized the power of funny. And I think that there was something about Gilda because she was a woman that appealed to me because I grew up, we're big, you know, New Yorkers. And so when my family moved out here, we kept watching Saturday Night Live. Mm. And so I would watch these sketch comedy skits and I would see Dan Aykroyd. But then there was something so different about Gilda's funny. Mm -hmm. I think that as a young age, I realized there was something different about feminine funny than male funny. See, and I never did. Really? No. Well, and that's maybe... Okay, so I want to get into that for a second. Because you said that you would look to your dad. Yes. To see my dad's laughing at that. Why is that funny? I would look to my mom. So I knew like as a kid, the golden ticket for me was I would get in trouble and my mom would stick me in the corner, which I, obviously I spent a lot of time in the corner, but I would, from the corner, I would do voices. Mm -hmm. And so I would be in the corner doing Lisa Lupner or Roseanne Rosanna Dana, which I mean, that's funny coming from an eight-year-old okay. sitting in the corner. Yeah. And I knew that if I could hear my mom laughing then she was going to stop being mad at me, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. So it became looking for the, what is my mom finding funny? Because that, that was what benefited me most as a kid. Now it's super fun when my dad laughs at my jokes, which I don't think he knows what to do with half of my jokes anymore. <laughs> so, but before we started, we talked about um, where funny comes from, because I think that funny is made. I think that funny is something that we acquire by necessity. It's definitely, there's a, a nature versus nurture. Like, I think it's definitely both. Um, I think for me, it was probably without realizing it, a survival technique. In what way? My parents don't belong together. Mm -hmm. My dad's a narcissist. My mom's a doormat. Um, my dad was an air traffic controller and, uh, part of the strike and Reagan didn't just fire everybody. He banned them for life from ever working again. Really? Yes. And they didn't go on strike. FYI, they didn't go on strike because they wanted more money. That's what everybody thinks. They went on strike because their fucking shit didn't work. So I was maybe three when that happened. Mm -hmm. um, my dad was like 33. You're banned for life. Ever doing your profession ever again. God makes you a little depressed. Sure. He had three kids and a wife and he was going blind. My mom's back was jacked. Do you know if two people are married, you both can't get disability? I did not. Only one of you can. Oh, wow. So somebody has to carry the weight. And so did your mom carry the weight? We went on uh, welfare. Okay. And we moved back from Lancaster to my little hometown. Oh. Okay. Uh, so, and dad slept all day and was up all night for 18 years. No, didn't see dad all day. So dad was up late at night watching Benny Hill and, and 
stuff on PBS. So I would sit there with my dad as a little kid. The only time I saw my dad was late at night watching funny stuff. And, you know, they argued all the time. And, they're, you know, I don't understand what the hell's going on. And there's tension because they don't like each other. They don't get along. They don't. So you just kind of, when you realize if you do something funny and it makes them laugh. Yes. And you, you're not consciously aware. You can't consciously make this decision. Not when you're not. As a three-year-old, as a four-year-old. No. You just know you're getting a reaction and it's a, it's alleviating the tension. And I think that is a huge part of the nurture side of the funny. Yeah. Because I think that it goes back to the funny out of necessity. I grew up bullied as a kid. And so I realized that if I cracked a joke, I got this sort of rush of this dopamine of that feels really good. So it became sort of this, you know, response of I do something, I get the laugh, I feel good. I lather, rinse, repeat. This has got to keep going because this is now my life. Yes. Right. And I can imagine, especially if you don't have many opportunities to connect with your dad on any level because you're in completely different worlds. He doesn't know how to connect to you because he's got his own shit he's dealing with. This is where you come together. Your life becomes the comedy with your dad. And my dad was actually, when we were kids, he was great. Probably because we were easily to, to control and to get along with. He would read us stories and he would make stuff up. Mm-hmm. He would make up voices and he would just make stuff that was not in the story. And, and we would watch nature shows and he would make stuff up the, that the animals were saying. And they would talk to each other. And it was like you watch a nature film in elementary school and sure. he would do that. In class, <laughs> and I didn't like. I didn't understand why nobody else was doing this, and like other people were laughing, and like it was. Oh my god, it was great! It was great, and yeah, that like that was great. As a family, we would do stuff like that, and yeah, no, that was great until you know we got a little bit older, and then we weren't as easy to you know. You start having your own mind, and you do stuff, and then it's not maybe not as. Yeah, what you find funny as a teenager is not the same thing that you found funny when you were five, sitting in the corner well, watching TV with your dad. No, you. Well, if you have a mind of your own and you want to do your own thing and you don't do as, as you're told, you know, you're a person um, sure. and you're not a thing that you can, somebody can put on a shelf and, you know, control is the word, you know, narcissist. She's on the spectrum too. So there's that, you know, my dad is J.D. Salinger. You know, J.D. Salinger is a party animal compared to Marger. Oh, wow. So that's that, a lot. That's a whole other ballgame right there. But yeah, um, my mom, my brother and I are going to kill my mom one day because he, we get in the same room. He's two years younger than me. And we just look at each other and bet. we're just on a wavelength. And we make my mom laugh. And she's got that smoker's pack. <laughs> we are just going to make her cough up a lung and she is going to die right before. So, you, so you've got the two siblings. Yeah. Um, and so your brother's funny. Where are you in the birth order? I'm in the middle shop. shop. Why am I not surprised? Okay. Uh, um, so the brother is older or younger? Yeah. Okay, so he's younger, so he's got a whole other reason for needing to be funny. Yeah. What about your sister? Is your sister funny? So funny. She's nine years older than me. Okay. And she moved out. She was fourteen. Okay. And like we we have, she has a different mom. Right. Well, she's got a whole other different survival need than you did. Yeah. Oh yeah. She got mom and dad one point You got mom and dad two point oh. Yeah. No, and then she, brother got three point She's sure. a nurse. She's got her whole okay. issues. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, so she moved out when I was like three. And so we didn't become like really know each other until like adults. Right. So, so that's kind of funny that I think that there's, um, there's in a lot of families, the, there's the funny kid. 
right? Where uh, it, it becomes that's their that's their place, that's their persona, um, is to be funny. And I love the fact that you and your brother kind of created that same um, survival mechanism. Well, it's a two-headed monster. We are Perfect. definitely both goobers. We are goobers to the nth degree. Well, and when you have somebody in a delicate situation, when you are in a delicate situation and you're trying to deal with what your life is, to have somebody else that's right there in it with you who understands where you're coming from, that helps you to feel seen um, because they're looking to be seen in the same way. Mm -hmm. What an amazing opportunity to have some sort of stability because you've got your partner in crime there. So fast forward. So Nikki grows up. Nikki becomes a young adult. What does the humor turn into? Acting. Okay. Were you always geared toward the funny acting or did you attempt to do serious acting and fail it miserably like I did? No, let's see. Let's see. Let's see. Uh, Yeah, I probably tried. Like, I probably tried. You know, musical. I cannot sing. I can't sing, um, singing bad. Um, but like, yeah, we did musicals in high school. I did a little shop of horrors. Oh, and so I, played, I played a dude <laughs> because there's never any dudes. There's never any dudes in theater in high school. Right. So I played the dude that sold the plant to Seymour. Um, and I've got a good voice so I can pull off the dude stuff. Um, but yeah, anytime I try to act serious, I look like I'm physically ill. So it doesn't really go over well. Um, but I finally, no, it was, it was senior year. Bye bye birdie. I wanted to be one of the girls. I wanted to be the pretty girl. And I thought I got cast as mama. Mm -hmm. And I initially thought it was because I wasn't pretty enough Mm. to be one of the girls. And what it was, was nobody else was funny enough to be mama. And of course, when I do old woman, she comes out Southern because my grandma was from Oklahoma. Mm -hmm. I'd never seen Bye Bye Birdie. I didn't know she was Jewish. But I come out there and I'm, yo, all Southern and shit and what, you know, whatever. But like, I got standing ovations. I, three months after that play, people would stop me in the parking lot and go, were you mama? And just like, I'm getting annihilated. That's like, and I just, I embraced it. And I, you know, I knew I was funny, but yeah, no, I was, I didn't, I was taking it personally. I was taking it personally that I, oh, you're not pretty enough and you're not, this was, uh, you know, the same reason, like, you don't have a boyfriend. It was all, it was. It was a personality judgment call instead of a, no, you're actually good at this and you make people laugh. And it was a, it was a good thing. So yeah, there was a separating my worth Mm -hmm. as a person from your ability to make people, it was all of that, that it still took me probably another 10, 15 years to assimilate. And yeah, I remember feeling good about people feeling good around me. Um, I was also very shy in high school because I was just operating and what to do with myself. I didn't have the self-esteem, which translated into me kind of hiding in myself a bit. And I wanted to be, oh, I wanted to be the actress. I wanted to be the lead in the play. And I wanted to be the character that has the romantic interest. And my senior year in high school, I was um, cast as the Olympia Dukakis <gasps> character in Steel Magnolia, which is goddamn hilarious in this low-key southern bitchy way Seriously. that is so inadvertently funny yes. of a character that I loved it and I loved oh delivering the lines. And that's when I said, okay, I'm not going to be the romantic interest. 
Right. You're not fun to play. Well, I'm just going to be boring as shit. Well, I'm going to be Karen, not Grace. <laughs> exactly. Karen was the fun character. Yes. But at the same time, it's interesting because speaking of just roles and places for people in, whether it, in the theater or in movies, and I talked a little bit about this with um, Art Monahan. I don't know if you know Art. He's a peacemaker as well. He was on the podcast last week. Art's hilarious, but Art's humor comes from being fat, right? Okay. He was five hundred pound funny man. Okay, right? yeah. Because again, you need a coping mechanism. Boom, boom, fall down. Yeah, that's exactly it, and He's that fine. became the source of the yeah. the humor. And I think that with funny people, it is very easy to find ourselves pigeonholed into that one role and think about the people that have been stuck there. And I think it's only until recently that we've seen some brilliant crossover Mm -hmm. into you can be both, but I don't know that it's necessarily easy to get out of like Jim Carrey is brilliant. Oh my God. Every level. He, and and this is, this is the thing. This is what I loved about um, um, the Truman show. This is what I loved about sunshine of the spotless mind. And this is what I love about someone like him. When they can go serious, they will annihilate your soul. They will annihilate your soul. Tom Hanks. Steve Carell. They will, Robin Williams, they will turn you inside out. Why do you think that is? What do you think it is about the humor that then becomes the compassion, outreach, identifiable, relatable? It's both ends of the same spectrum. It's like love isn't the opposite of hate indifferences if you if you can hate somebody that just means you love them that much it's the same deal so if you can make somebody laugh you're really you're getting that vulnerable you're getting you're touching them that deep if so, you can make them laugh you can make them cry yeah oh yeah and yeah because making somebody cry honest to god is no big deal it's really it's, it's emotional manipulation you can do it it's a hallmark commercial it's no big deal you can make somebody gasp that you can't manipulate that out of somebody wow wow i've never thought about it that way you can't manipulate that out of somebody you can make anybody you can tell somebody a sad story and make them cry Mm -hmm. but you can't make somebody yeah you can't manipulate that you would have to actually tell a story that would actually get somebody or or you don't it either works or it doesn't for you what becomes funny then to you where where do you see humor oh there's I think, I think anything can be funny. A friend of mine has a Holocaust denier joke. Oh my God. Okay. What makes that funny is that joke's not actually about Holocaust deniers. What makes it funny is that people get offended, but it's, it's, it's edgy. It's, it's. Which is interesting because I think you touch on the subject of the offensive side of funny as well, because I think that there's. Humor has connection. And I listened to a podcast uh, with Judd Apatow, who Judd Apatow, like everything that he touches is comedic gold, but not in an overt kind of way. Although I do think that This Is 40 was one of the funniest movies I've seen in a long time because it was real because you're watching it and you're it's so real life. And Judd Apatow's thought and his philosophy on humor was if he could get people to see their life in a part of their human experience 
and laugh at it by watching him or someone else experience the same thing. That was the hook. What did Jim Carrey say? Oh God, what did he say? What did he say? He said something about that that was so relatable. Finding that thing that connects us all. What is it that I can do that will make us all connect? You know who was a stand-up comedian that I don't think I realized fully until I watched the series on the comedy store? Uh, uh, he played Batman. Michael Keaton. Michael Keaton. I love that that was who I went to with Batman because Michael Keaton is my Batman. Thank you. The comedy of Mr. Mop in this five-part series on Showtime about the comedy store, he talks about he was he was living at the comedy store doing stand-up comedy and it was going nowhere and it sucked and he just he was like what is my deal i have five dollars in my name i need to throw everything at the wall what you know what i'm going for broke i don't give a shit anymore i'm just gonna get up there and he just got up there and started winging stuff mm-hmm. and it started working and the first movie job that he got offered was mr mom from the line. Uh, can i tell you the most quoted movie line that I use in the history of ever. And I try, I work hard to try and put into conversation any way I can. Hey, you're doing it wrong. North the pickup, south the drop off. And I know, I know my people when they know north the pickup, south the drop off. Get it right next time. That was one of the times that I remember as a kid growing up, watching something and thinking that that's funny. And that's Monty Python. I tried to explain to my ex-boyfriend. Mm-hmm. Either you get Monty Python or you don't. Um, I tried to explain Monty Python to him. I'm describing a skit to him and I was all, this sounds like the stupid shit I have ever said in my life. I should stop right now. Right. If you try to describe it, it makes no sense. My very first boyfriend bought me the entire series of Monty Python on DVD oh because God. he got me. He got me. What's your favorite skit? You're reading my mind. I'm with you. Sitting on the couch with him, watching. It had to have been Comedy Central at the time. Mm-hmm. And my favorite skit. If it's mine, I'm going to freak out. Comes on. It's Cleese and Palin dressed up as Frenchmen. Oh my gosh. Okay. And there's a sheep on the wall. And they're talking in French. And one of them's got a fake mustache on. He reaches over and they share the, the mustache. And the, it's a mechanical sheep in there. I don't understand French, but they're describing this mechanical shoe. It's the stupid. It doesn't make any sense at all. But I squealed and I pointed at the screen and I laughed and I said, oh, my God, that is my favorite skit. The screen went black. And then it said, if your girlfriend just laughed at this, marry her. I can't even make that up. I love it. It was 2002. That's amazing. And I think my my boyfriend picked up the remote and like made but needless to say, we're no longer together. And that was literally 20 years ago. Because he didn't get the funny. My he favorite. Did. No, he did. That boyfriend did. Okay. That boyfriend did. He was my first boyfriend. Oh, this the last one. Yeah. Gotcha. The last one did not. I mean, he was. My favorite is um, the dead parrot. Oh, well, that is a classic. It is. The dead parrot makes me laugh so hard. But I think that there is a connection also that we have with people when people get our humor. And people get us. And I think that there's something that you mentioned that we have to get into. We absolutely have to get into, which is part of the reason why you're sitting on the couch. And it's not just some random funny person sitting on the couch. 
is the comment at the end of the Monty Python skit that says, if your girlfriend just laughed at this, marry her. Because there is a very weird stigma and connection between being female and being funny and understanding comedy and laughing at the right thing and what women are supposed to do, not supposed to be. But I've struggled with that because it is an odd place to be funny. And it's something where, have you read Amy Poehler's Yes, Please? Um, I have not. I've been told I need to, especially because she mentions my hometown in it. It's brilliant. Yes, it's brilliant. And she talks a lot about what we're delving into, which was sort of the survival mode. She um, she became funny out of necessity. That was what she calls her currency. But she recalls a moment where she was at a table read for SNL. And, you know, she and Jimmy Fallon are big friends. Right. And she made a joke. And he had said something about how he didn't think that was funny. And she just looked at him and she goes, you don't have to find me funny. I don't care if you find me funny. And it was okay for her to say that because they were friends and he knew the place it came from, but it was also a very real sentiment. So how have you experienced being funny and the connection to being female? I've never seen a difference. Like I've never looked at myself as a funny woman. I've just looked at myself as funny, funny person. And you are, you're a funny person regardless of gender. I think that for me, the response that I've gotten from other people on being funny has depended on more what their gender is than mine. I don't think that people are responding to my gender. I think that people are responding to me based on their gender. Oh no. And and, yeah, like, I don't feel like anybody has ever, I'm trying to think of a time that somebody has said, I don't think anybody's ever said to me, like, you're funny for a girl or something like that. Or like, you know, I did a, a, a show in San Luis Obispo where one of my cousins came to see it because they live in Paso and, and, he was like, oh, you're funny. But your boyfriend, I'm like, yeah, no, he's funnier than me. And even my ex-boyfriend who got me the Monty Python, he was like, no, but how's Sammy? And I'm like, no, I know. Sammy's funny. And a lot of times he's, he's funnier than me. And it's not because Sammy's a boy. It's because he's fucking funny. Like, it's, I've never thought it was, oh, well, it's because Nikki's a girl. Because mm-hmm. he's fucking funny. I think that more times than not, it's been the surprise of funny. Dave Merrill threw that one at me. And he told me, once he goes, you are, you're one of the funniest women that I've ever met. And I don't find women funny. See, you know, I, I think I've probably heard that. Probably heard that. I probably have heard that. And I've never been, I don't think I've ever been like, I've certainly never been offended. I've never been shocked. I think I've been like, good. Yeah, I, like, I actually love it. I don't see it as necessarily a sexist thing at all. Not, not at all. I'm like, well, good for you then. Like, if you're expanding your horizons, then. Well, and then I feel like I've accomplished something. I feel like they've accomplished something. Oh, that's a good one. I never feel like I've accomplished jack shit. Oh, see, whenever after that... Anything, this is who I am. After that, any time that I made Dar- Dave Merrill laugh, it brought me the most immense joy. And that's I had... That's rad, that. It was just... It was one of those, like, I, I knew... And maybe it was just, it goes back to that pleaser of me that mm-hmm. I knew that if my friend who didn't find women funny generally thought I was funny and then I could make him laugh and I could, especially if I could beat him to a punchline. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. That was fun. Cause he oh, was hilarious. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He was, he was, yeah. when a funny person finds you funny, you know what? That's pleasure. So yeah, no, I totally get that. Yeah. If somebody that you respect mm-hmm. feels that way about you, 
then you're like, wait, who's a dreamer? What? And it's the same thing with um, meeting people. God, dating. It is really easy for me to go on a date or to meet someone and lead with the funny because it's easy. Well, yeah. Well, yeah. It's the other stuff that's the hard part. Of course. Of course. And people like people tell me all the time. I'll tell you, people tell me all the time. Oh, my God. Comedy. That is so terrifying. And I'm like, no, it's not. Nope. Not for me. Right. That is, it is not scary at all. Being serious, being vulnerable, being open and not veiling it with humor is terrifying. Yeah, and that this is this is my defense. Like that's why it's not scary for me at all. That I mean, I am being vulnerable up there, and what you don't realize is that this is all r- totally raw and vulnerable. I'm just saying it in a funny way, right? Um, but I don't need to be drunk. I don't need to be to like this is. It's not scary. I, this is who I am. There's no difference between me on stage and me not, quote unquote, on stage. There's no difference. So there should be. With that, with the defense mechanism, and there's, I got called out um, by a friend of mine recently. And your sense of humor has a tendency to be very self-deprecating as well. Oh. Mm-hmm. But I'm not the type of person that is ever going to make somebody else the butt of my jokes. Oh, no. No. So I'll make myself the butt of my jokes. Exactly. And my friend mentioned my self-deprecation as being a negative narrative that I was feeding myself. And it can't be. And that's not my intent. But at the same time, there is a register in there. How is that your go-to? How does that, why is that the go-to? And why is it comfortable? Well, that's the thing. That's why comedy stopped being fun. Interesting. Because it starts out where self-deprecation can be fun because it's fun and you're, you're fine. It, it's, it's humor, but there is truth in what you say to yourself. You are, you are saying that to yourself about yourself. And that's why there is, there is, you should have, for lack of a better word, a character. If you're a stand-up comedian, that shouldn't be literally just balls to the wall, you on sure. stage. That makes sense. Like, you know, musicians, uh, they are playing a character. It's a facade. I mean, that's them, but there has to be a buffer. Interesting. I haven't had any buffer and people don't realize they think I'm making up stories. Everything I say on stage is real. Mm -hmm. That's no, I was living with my parents and I was, they think I made all that up and you can, I think there's a way to be self-deprecating, but not let it affect you. But I hadn't felt like I was doing it enough. If you do it after enough years, it starts to wear on your soul because all you're hearing is yourself talk shit about yourself night after night after night about how you live with your parents and you don't have a boyfriend and you're essentially a loser and you're saying what and it's funny at first you know because self-deprecation there's there is humor in it but after a while because there's two ends to that coin sure 
love, and hate. And the love, that pendulum starts swinging toward the hate. And it, that becomes real. And it stops becoming fun. And because there's truth in every joke. There's truth in every insult. There's truth in every jab. Yeah. And that, so how does that translate into not only how we see ourselves, but how other people see us when we are, when we are always making ourselves the butt of the joke, when we are always joking? How does that affect other people's perception of taking us seriously as people? Exactly. Well, you have to be self-aware enough Mm -hmm. to realize um, that that's what you're doing, but also realize that that's what other people are doing and people are projecting their shit on you. (laughs) Realize that. So don't take it personally when people are realize that everybody's ish is about them. Right. And not about you. To realize you're joking to hide the hurt mm-hmm. and that you have to deal with it. Eventually. You've got to find it. There's nothing. I mean, what therapists diss coping mechanisms like they don't know how well they work. Um, I mean, there's nothing wrong with, I mean, obviously we wouldn't be comedians. There wouldn't be, you know, we wouldn't have all these things. Musicians wouldn't be musicians. There would, there would be no art. Nobody's saying don't do those things. But if you find yourself doing it all the time, there's no off and there's no real, there's no reality with anyone. You're hiding from yourself and others others because you can't get to others until you get yourself you you can't there there is no others wow that's an that's wow there's no others you can't have a relationship with other people if there's no you can't you can't you can't fill a cup when yours is fucking empty you can't and that's the problem nobody wants to do the work nobody wants to do the work because the work is fucking hard. Oh, yeah. Without a doubt. And it's a deep, dark place. And humor, like we've said, it comes from a deep, dark place. Yeah. When we can laugh at other people's expense when they are self-deprecating, <laughs> yeah. then we don't have to laugh at ourselves. You you made a, a really great point. There is there is projection. Oh, yeah. And if you focus there. on other people, you don't have to focus on yourself. Right. And if you're codependent, like me... And you try to fix everybody else's problems, you don't have to fix your own. I know how to fix everybody else's problems, but mine. Yeah. And if you blame everybody else for your problems, then you're never at fault. And if you can find the humor in them, and if you can present them in a humorous way, it almost takes away from the reality of it being the problem. Of course. Right? This isn't, it's not, it becomes not a problem. It's a joke. Right? How can how can my problem and my joke be the same thing? If it's funny, how is it bad? Love versus hate, opposite sides of the same coin. Or just it's just like honestly, like Ted Bundy was too good looking to have committed those murders. People literally thought that. Yeah, you're rich. How do you have problems? <sighs> Everybody has problems. So, what else do you think that people need to know and understand? about 
comedy and about being funny and about being a funny person and about inhabiting that space. It's not all wine and roses. Um, it's fun. It's hard. Comedy, comedy is if you're going to be good at it, it actually takes work. Um, comedy, being a stand-up comedian is about writing jokes. And I'm not a good joke writer. I'm going to tell you right now. <laughs> I'm not. I'm a better storyteller. Uh, I like hosting shows where I can work off other people's material. Um, and being funny is not the same as being a stand-up comedian, um, being a comedic actress. Like Lucy, mm-hmm. straight up, Carol Burnett. They are comedic actors. Godly funny. They're not stand-up comedians. There are so many male stand-up comics. Yes. Vast amounts that, that greatly outnumber the female yes. stand-up comics. And the women who are doing stand-up and that are funny are not getting the same exposure. They're not getting the billing. They're not getting the paid. They're not getting the specials Correct. that men are. Do you think it's a visibility issue that people probably know a hell of a lot women, hell of a lot more women who are funny than they think? Um, I think it's probably, it's probably true. It's probably possible. I know that I, before I started doing stand-up, was hard-pressed to name a lot of female stand-ups. And I watched Stand-Up Spotlight with Rosie O'Donnell back in the day. I've watched, you know, and I, I could only name like a handful at the time. I still could only. And, you know, everybody wants to, you know, women talk about their periods and they talk about, and, and honest to God, I don't want to fucking hear that. I don't want to hear it. Yeah. That's not what I want. I don't want to hear about mask jokes either. There's a lot of shit that I don't want to hear about mm-hmm. that everybody fucking talks about on stage. But yeah, everybody assumes that women are going to get up there and talk about certain things that they either are or they just assume that. And so they don't book them or there's probably a lot of assumptions going on. But there is a lot of if you won't like sleep with me, like you're not going to get on stage. Like I have personally not experienced that personally. Mm -hmm. That's just me. Um, I have friends who have experienced that. I think there's a lot of women that just are intimidated to get up there or one person will say something to them and they just decide they're not going to deal with it. Or, you know, I do. Do you watch uh, Mrs. Maisel? I I have not. I've been told, of course, that I need to. And sometimes I get too much anxiety and it stresses me out. I'm like, you know what? I can't go there. Uh, Maya Rudolph. Yes. And I absolutely see that. Janine Garofalo on five different occasions. I see all of that. I see Maya Rudolph more than anything because you just have a way of presenting yourself. That is also, and I say this because, you know, I love so much. Um, you, the way you present is just, it's lovable. It is just lovable and it's fun and it makes you a goddamn bitch. Stop. And I love it. Oh, stop. All right. Well, um, we have to finish our yeah. champagne, folks. Um, thank you so much, friend, for coming over and being my first person yeah. to do this in person. Thank you so much. I appreciate you. Um, I we are going to link in the show notes to your medium. Oh, my God. Yes. Uh, your social media. Oh, yeah. And other ways that people can stay in touch with you. All right, Tal. Thank you all. And we'll see you next week. Thank you so much for joining us today. New episodes launch every Monday, so I hope you'll be back. If you enjoyed this podcast, there's several ways to show your support. First, by rating the podcast and leaving a review, you help others to find great content. 
Second, if you're looking for further connection, consider becoming a patron of the podcast, where you'll have a fun and interesting way to connect with others and even get more information on perspectives and things you may not have considered. Lastly, please share this podcast with a friend. The number one way that podcasts reach more people is through sharing and word of mouth. I appreciate you and your beautiful open mind. See you soon.